0: I left because I knew that I couldn't play that role anymore. And so this was my way of serving the public and giving them a little bit of a view into what some of the experiences are of American Muslims, but now of Jewish Americans and and Latinos. This was my way of being able to share a bit of that.
1: I know in the article you describe what those few days under the...
0: I left because I knew that I couldn't play that role anymore. And so this was my way of serving the public and giving them a little bit of a view into what some of the experiences are of American Muslims, but now of Jewish Americans and and Latinos. This was my way of being able to share a bit of that.
1: I know in the article you describe what those few days under the Trump administration were like, but I'm having a hard time uh, visualizing it. I mean, were you sitting at your desk and people were moving
0: in and just like not looking at you, not talking? What was that like? many of us stayed in all sincerity to be a resource. Personally for me, I was very passionate about working on the Cuba, U.S.-Cuba policies, and I did a lot of the Cuban-American engagement. I really cared about the Muslim-American engagement. So to be kind of greeted with this feeling of mistrust of like, you know, as if we're all there to screw things over when in fact we're there to be a resource. So it's hard to describe, but I think it was a combination of how You are greeted in a cold way, um, but also just the fact that so many offices were still empty. Um, And I remember one of the women who was there on day one when I started, even a week and a half in, she didn't have a defined role of what her job was. So, you know, that kind of shows a level of chaos within and how behind they are in defining roles. And the thing is, roles are hard to define when there isn't any guidance of what the purpose is and what the policies are meant to do.
1: The negative reaction that you mentioned, is that pretty much the Weekly Standard piece where they questioned under what program you were rehired into the new administration and things like that?
0: I mean, I don't really know what the motive behind that was, but I I don't know. Like, I actually don't know what their intent was in doing that. I think that was a response to the fact that the article had gone as far as it did and they wanted to shed me in the light of being someone who was just placed there for some hidden purpose, um, which is just not the case. As I've talked about in my piece, I was somebody who never believed in working in government. I thought government was corrupt and you couldn't have an impact. But the whole experience of being there for five and a half years was an eye-opening experience for me, where I got to see the impact you could have on real individual lives. So did you push back in the time that you were working for the Trump administration? Well, that was the reason why I left was because there was no space for myself or many of us to voice our concerns because everything was rolled out without any conversation with experts within the building or communities that were being affected. Like, we would literally find out about these things through the news. You know, typically the process for me in the past is I would go through my boss. You know, I would say like, hey, look, this is something that's happening and I really would like to weigh in on this. And they would make the ask. Um, to allow me to have a seat in the table or they would express my concern in these larger meetings that they were a part of. But that wasn't even happening for our directors.
1: You know, this is what Trump said he would do on the campaign trail. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of people thought he wouldn't do what he said he would, I guess. Um, So is that what you thought?
0: My expectation was that, okay, look, he is going to do some of this because, you know, it's what he's building upon. Every president, when they come into the Oval Office, they have a responsibility to look beyond the campaign promises and rhetoric that they used. I expected there to be some space of flexibility on some of the things that he promised. Um, I did not. None of us expected that week one, all that stuff would be implemented. And that's where the expertise and evidence that's put in front of them matters. You know, the fact that his current national security advisor has said that, you know, using terms like radical Islamic terrorism is counterproductive. You know, you think he would listen to that or take it into consideration. But as we saw in the speech um, to Congress, that hasn't been the case. Do you know other
1: Muslims who, who work for the administration now? And, and would you encourage people to try
0: and work from the inside with this administration? Yeah, absolutely. So I do know of a few American Muslims who are in different ages like the State Department and other places. There are a few within the White House as well in other offices. There are some people more and more who are finding themselves in a position where they're just sitting there not being able to do anything because the structure from within is starting to be squeezed and shut down in some places.
1: Yeah, after President Trump's speech to the Joint Session of Congress, where the the big reaction was, oh, this was an actual statesman. Like, mm-hmm. he made a very reasonable speech. Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought, you know, maybe I should have given them more time to get their act together?
0: Look, we're at a stage now where we can't be flattered by how well someone presents. And sure, in comparison to how he's presented before, it sounded so much more presidential with him sticking to the teleprompter. We have to keep bringing ourselves back to be accountable for the content. If you look at the content, there's still so many questions that remain unanswered. And um, when it comes to the actions and promises that he made, like how is he gonna implement those things? As a president, it's your responsibility as other presidents have, President Bush, President Obama, to firmly state that no one in the U.S. should be targeted for who they are, what they look like, or how they worship. So, present
1: a more varied view of Muslims, maybe.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So from President Trump's point of view, and he's insistent on on using the word radical Islamic terrorism. Mm -hmm. If we stand in his shoes, how would you weigh the pros and cons
0: of having Muslims on the National Security Council to advise him? Well, I think for those individuals, again, I want to differentiate that not everybody shares that view within the administration. But for those who do, I think... They would not want someone who's Muslim American in the National Security Council advising on the terminology that we use, that they're using. I'll just give an example of the pros and cons of what I went through under the Obama administration. You know, my background was not working on extremism at all. I have no background on it. However, one day my boss came up to me and he was like, Romano, there's a bunch of white guys who were sitting in a room talking about Muslims, and this was regarding the countering violent extremism effort. He was like, you need to start going to those meetings. Now look, I was tokenized at that moment, and it was frustrating at first. However, when I went to those meetings, I was able to weigh in and be able to shed some light of how it could be harmful and counterproductive to use certain terminology, you know, in terms of how we were framing the countering violent extremism initiative. It's hard for me to determine um, the pros and cons for this administration from their perspective. I don't know what the dynamics are there right now, but I think, you know, um, it's the fact that he still came out and used that terminology in such a forceful way is telling
1: the way you feel about yourself can really change mm-hmm. based on the environment yeah. and Muslims kind of experience that in general from before the election to after like mm-hmm. they're being treated differently they're dealing with different things so they're feeling differently about themselves and their experiences et cetera. and you were kind of at the fault line, you were mm-hmm. you were at ground zero as that was happening, mm-hmm. so what was that
0: like to experience that pivot? You know sometimes these moments it can be demeaning but it's also emboldening and empowering. And I think, you know, as someone who, listen, I was like homeschooled once upon a time and was very antisocial and quiet, but every challenge that I've been through and throughout my entire life, even, you know, post 9-11, being bullied, what I learned is that knowledge is power, knowledge is strength, feeds into what's the best about America. You know, this is why my parents came here, this is why so many people Um, are proud to be Americans, I'm proud to be an American, is because I know that the ideals that we stand for is for justice and equality. I, again, I embraced myself for the fact that, okay, it might get bad um, and I should be ready for that, but I knew that it would be an opportunity to make me a stronger person and to speak up for truth. Look, it's hard but I think we have to train ourselves to understand and open our eyes to the fact that we're not the first people to go through these challenges. People before us have, um, that's true of within my faith, but it's also true within this country.
1: Okay, but you can't tell me that your parents weren't worried that you're making yourself a target this way 100%, a hundred percent,
0: you know, a hundred percent. My mother was, you know, definitely a little worried about me coming out. And, you know, I think this is where I'll share from a very, um, a faith point of view, You know, when you're speaking the truth and you're doing what's right, you know, I'm going to put my faith in God to protect me.
1: So what are you going to do
0: next? I'm 27, but you know, I I do want to go into a different sector and get a different experience. I actually am confident that I will come back to government um, later. So at the end of all of this, you ended up believing in government. Starting in the Office of Presidential Correspondence, one of our jobs was to um, be on the comment line to take calls from Americans. I remember one call that I received was somebody who would call like almost every single day to say that he was against healthcare reform. And then one day he called and he said, and I just got diagnosed with a pre-existing condition, and now I realize why this is important. And like, those voices are just so important to hear. Like, did the previous administration do it perfectly? No, but there's always room to be better. And you can't improve our government and hold them accountable just by criticizing from the outside, but rather by doing it from the inside.
1: Rumana Ahmed was a White House staffer who stayed for eight days in the Trump administration, but resigned out of frustration. I'm Rupa Shanoi, and this has been an Otherhood Short from BRI.